Things are neither good nor bad until you assign meaning to them. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. On today's episode of Decision Point, Brad sits down with Nigel Green. Along with being the head of sales for Affirm Health, Nigel also coaches and consults with healthcare sales leaders and teams. To find out more about Nigel, head on over to nigelgreen.co. So tell me a little bit about, I saw that you had, speaking of adversity, I saw you put some pictures online. Yeah. So Friday, December the 10th. So I grew up in Alabama. Tornadoes are kind of like, a, they just happened. I remember in 1989, I was a young boy, five, six years old. And uh, we had a tornado that came through uh, Huntsville, Alabama and just destroyed the town. So I grew up kind of always hearing about tornadoes and, and knowing they were a real thing. Uh, and then uh, Friday, December the 10th, I now live in Kentucky and Midwest. Don't really have to worry about tornadoes and uh, power had been out for a couple hours. And when you grow up around tornadoes, like it's hard to say this to, to people that don't know, you just feel when it's different. And so the power had been out. We got both kids that are laying in the bed with us. I mean, it's lightning and thundering. And so I grabbed my phone and I just said, you know what, Becky, I'm just going to, I got YouTube TV so I can do this. I just pulled up the Nashville news. So it just feels different this time. And uh, sure enough, I'm watching the news on my phone and they, they're like, they're naming these little dirt roads that are like a quarter and half a mile from here talking about taking cover. And I said, get the kids now. And this was one thirty in the morning and it, it just this tornado just rocked our little town in Kentucky that is not used to tornadoes. And we were we were very fortunate in that we did not have any really significant damage. But quarter mile down the road, I've got neighbors that lost everything, didn't have power. If they didn't lose their house altogether, what was left of it, there was no power for at least a week. And so um, my little town has gone through some adversity and then insult to injury. Uh, last Saturday, another tornado comes through. So we had another tornado come right through the same town. And it was, he said it was about as wide as a, so the first tornado that came through on December the 10th set a new record in this country for the longest continuous path. It was on the ground for 200 miles. Yeah. I saw, I, I saw that. And then we had another one come through on Saturday that was 100 yards wide and was on the ground for a mile and a half uh, and did a little bit more damage. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, our little town has been, and it's been a great, you talk about resilience in, in the face of adversity. It's been great to see how, like, people that live in the country, they just know how to take care of themselves. And, like, there was no, um, yeah, there was a little bit of coverage on the news, but there weren't like people sh- really showing up to to help. I mean, it, it took weeks before like Red Cross or FEMA or anybody was out here. So you just got these country folks out there with their own tractors cleaning it up. And it, it was really remarkable to see. For me, it was like, like you got to choose your hard. And these folks said, you know what, this is it's going to be hard to get out here and clean all this up in the next couple of days. But the other hard would be living in this rubble for weeks and months. And they just, 
people got on their tractors, they got out their chainsaws, and they just fixed this place right back up in a matter of a couple of weeks. And it was remarkable. And it was hard work, but it got done. Now, would you say is it back? Is it kind of back up to back up to normal? Can you get downtown and get a cup of coffee at the the diner, or is it still everybody's still stumbling a little bit? Well, there okay. There's there's no downtown. There's no downtown. There's no diner. It's just folks that live on a farm. There there is none of that. So there there's no like infrastructure or like commonplace that was destroyed. It's just roughly. Um, 50, I think all the little farms, all the little families. Yeah. I mean, you got, um, one, one of our neighbors had, uh, something like $1.7 million worth of corn that was in a grain leg and the, oh. and the top of the grain leg had been ripped off and there's rain, co- you know, this, so luckily whatever moisture content came in from the rain in the tornado wasn't enough to make the corn unsalvageable, but in a matter of three days, we had more rain coming. So we had to move, you know, they had to move. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of truckloads of corn and go take it to market before they wanted to, because it was going to be, it was going to be gone. Just to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's stuff like that. So it's not like, well, we're going to go get coffee. It's like, no, my life is in that grain leg. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Now, are you, how far, I know there was a, and we'll transition here in a second, but I know there was a big candle factory in one of these tornadoes that got hit in Kentucky. Is that close to where you guys are at? Mayfield's about 50 miles from here. Okay. Just trying to get my grounding on kind of where, where, where everything was at. Well, why don't you, you know, Nigel, you know, we look, we had a great, we had an awesome time. I wish we'd mic'd up the first time we talked. We just talked there on the phone because Colin Mitchell had connected us. Why don't you sort of bring everybody up to speed just in terms of your your role and position and what, and what you do today and kind of your background. And then we'll shift and we'll talk. We talked a little bit about adversity and we'll shift and talk a little bit about sales. And then we'll focus on, you know, the, the one or one topic that you're really passionate about. So go ahead and tell everybody kind of your story, how you got to where you're at. Well, I, I think it's important to where I am now is I uh, I'm. 30, 38 years old. I live on a farm in rural Kentucky by choice uh, with my wife and two young kids. I have a six-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter, and we are 20 minutes away from a gas station, 20 minutes away from a cup of coffee, a grocery store, uh, but we, we live where we want to live, and, and nature is right out our door. Uh, I, for work, uh, I work with companies that are in mid-market, so typically uh, 10 to around 50 million in annual revenue that have a B2B sales team. And I work with their sales leader to build uh, best-in-class process structure so that they can hit their number year in and year out. I got here, I started out as just a sales rep back in 2006, a ex-college football player that was new, didn't want to do much with my college degree, just wanted to go make money. And so sales was a great way to do that. And I moved to Jacksonville, Florida and got started into healthcare sales. By the age of 2000, and by, by three years later, so the year was 2009, I'm leading my first sales team for a big healthcare company out of California. We sold that business in 2012 to Medline. And uh, I moved to Nashville to build a sales team for another healthcare company. And so that company did really well. And Brad, by the age of 31, I found myself as a 
executive for a Fortune 300 healthcare company, and I had uh, about 100 sales reps across the country, uh, was in and out of just about every single state in the U.S., um, and was working around the clock and said, you know what, if something doesn't change, this is going to this is going to fundamentally change who I am as a person. You know, I believe that what you work on works on you, and so uh, in May of 2018, I made the decision that uh, I could not be on a management team anymore and still be the father I wanted to be and be the husband that I needed to be and ultimately be be the person that I wanted to be and accomplish my goals. So we just we we um we ripped we pulled the rip cord and ejected and moved to moved out of Nashville and moved without a plan moved to Kentucky and um I had no idea that as soon as the word got out that I was no longer on a management team that folks would start calling me and saying can you help coach consult and advise and then just kind of out of out of vapor Nigel Green the sales team architect became uh, a thing. And so that's that's where I am, and that's how we got here. That's awesome. I think that's amazing. I was just that you can step out and make a, a step out in faith, and then all of a sudden, all these doors open up. Well, I believe that um, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm a man of faith, and and in the Bible, you know, it, it God has a plan for us, and it's kind of funny. I can't remember who said it best, but it's like um, we we have our plan, and then we take it to God, and He just kind of laughs at us, you know, like. My my plan was to you know keep grinding this out and make a name for myself, and he just kind of laughed at me and he's like, "Oh boy, you you don't even know what the plan is. So you're going to live in Kentucky and do something else, and you're still going to make a little bit of a name for yourself, but it ain't going to be the way you think, buddy." That's that's awesome. So I know when we talked a little bit, uh, I, I love that I love that story. I know when we talked a little bit. You talked about one of the big differences between you and and most of the consultants that are out there is like. You're you're not working with reps, right? Yep, that's right. So tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit about that because I think that's a core. That's kind of a core difference in the, in the thinking and philosophy. Well, I think that so there is certainly a need for training on prospecting and you know selling in a virtual world and negotiation and there are all these really good models. You know, whether it be Spin or Medic or all these different types and, and frameworks for selling and 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 there look there's there are plenty of folks out there that do that really well i mean mary lou tyler who wrote the forward for my book revenue harvest uh you know, she built the whole predictable revenue principle in 2013 so like what am i going to say about selling that she hasn't already said um but what i what i realized brad is that like when i was leading a sales team there was there were no books to go read, to talk like about how to be a better sales leader. There was no one really uh, speaking on that. You know, you got, if, if you don't have to go far to find Jeb Blunt or Anthony Inarino or some of these cats that, that do, that have really good stuff on selling. I was lost. Um, and then it was right as I was hanging up my, hanging up my cleat, so to speak, Mike Weinberg, he put out the first book, Sales Management Simplified. And Mike's a friend of mine, and he, he does great work. It, but but it wasn't there for me, and so I thought, well, if there's if, so now there's three or four books. You know, David Brock's got a good book, um, Sales Management Survival Guide. But e even that, uh, what they everything they talk about is great, but it, it doesn't give you 
a playbook, right? There, there are all these sales playbooks. And so what I, what I decided was that, man, wouldn't it have been great when I was leading a sales team to have someone that not just tell me what to do, but when to do it. And I, and so I started thinking about how do I, how do I want to take all this career capital, you know, all these years of building and leading sales teams and how do I write it for a first time sales leader or someone that's been an old seasoned vet that's been doing this longer than, than maybe I've even been alive. And then I just started looking around at my farming friends in the community. And I said, that's it. You know, farmers, if they don't produce a crop, they're just not a farmer. You're just not. And so I, I thought, you know, there are a lot of sales leaders that are running around that aren't hitting their targets. You know, 50% of the sales teams won't hit their target year in and year out. And they're calling themselves sales leaders. I said, yeah, you know, farmers are also very similar because th- th- every year they are faced with things that they can't control. The weather, the market, uh, it's too hot, it's too cold, too much rain, not enough rain. And I hear sales leaders say the same thing. Good leads, bad leads, the hiring market, the comp plan, the competitive landscape. But yet all that all that's great. It's real. The real challenges, if you don't hit your number, it won't matter. And so I started interviewing these these farmers and I'm saying, "What how do you how do you do it year in and year out? What's your approach?" And so they gave me all these ideas that I wove into seven principles. And those seven principles that these farmers do really well became the framework that I now use to teach sales leaders, regardless of what you sell, regardless of how you know your sales cycle, whether it's a week, 30 days, one year, quarterly, you can do these things. And if you and it tells you when to do them. And if you do these seven principles, I think you got a really good shot of, of hitting your number year in and year out. Dude, I, I love that. Do you mind sharing a couple of your what's what's your you mind sharing a couple of the principles? Oh, I'll show all of them. Not to give too much away on the book. Shoot. They're all, we'll talk about all seven of them. The first one's planning, right? And that's the, you just, you, you have to build a plan, right? Farmers go into a year with a plan and sales leaders go into a year with some, some form of a plan. But I, I go into detail in the book about why I think most plans fail. So the, the first uh, reason they fail is that they don't account for adversity. The farmer knows that there's going to be a drought or there's going to be a flood. Sales leaders don't even think about that in their plan. It all looks real good in their spreadsheet. It's up and to the right. You know, they, they, yeah, there's no negative. There's no, ne- yeah, there's no negativity in them. No, nah, they, they're not, they're not accounting on a big flood or a tornado to come rip the top off the grain leg, right? That, that ain't going to happen. So, and then the, the second one is, is position. That's the second principle. Really good plans, but the sales team doesn't buy into it, won't matter. So you got to position the plan well. And then the third uh, principle is prepare. And preparation is all about getting getting the right people on the team. It's about training and development. It's about technology. Uh, all of, I mean, if you think sales has been disrupted by technology, you should see farming. I mean, these guys are driving around combines with GPS. I mean, they're on. Their, they're doing their emails and they're and they're. But they don't even have to drive. No. Yeah. So, but that's the way the sales rep is now. I mean, now I mean, excuse me, a sales. Ma- a lot of times, sales managers don't even have to drive because all the technology and the dashboards they put it all right in front of you. You don't have to drive anymore. Uh, and so we I talk about that. And that's prepare. And then the fourth one is plant. And that's pretty under you know that's prospecting. That's putting seeds in the ground. And then principle number five is tending. So that's how you tend to the crop, whether it be your reps, how you tend to your customers, how you tend to the business. 
Then there's the harvest principle, which is number six. Everybody wants to close. Everybody wants to put some hay in the barn. And then I think probably the most ignored principle is the restore principle. Farmers understand if you just if you just harvested this this piece of ground, you can't just go right back and, and put something in the ground. You gotta you've depleted it. You've got to put minerals back in. You've got to restore it. You, you run all year. Your equipment needs to be restored. And I don't think sales leaders do a good enough job of restoring. That's different. A lot of people hear restore and they say, well, we give them time off. No, rest is to not use. Restore is to return to its original state. So w- we do a good enough job of taking breaks and resting, but we don't restore. And so th- those are the seven principles. Talk a little bit about that. How, what's it look like to restore a sales rep or a sales team? It means to stop production, take it, take it out, train it, fix it. And so it, it could be leadership training. It could be salesmanship training. It could be career path and advancement. I, but, it, but it's like the thing that a lot, of lead, a lot of leaders can't wrap their head around, Brad, is stopping the production. Now, some companies, like I work with a lot of companies that have some seasonality where their business naturally slows down in November and December. So it's the business can anticipate that and we can have some quota relief in those months. And there's a natural built-in restoration period. For others, you know, it may just be that they get quota relief so that they can go do a training or they can go do that. But you gotta you gotta account for it. You gotta build in ways in which to go back and return the team and return not just the, the sellers. I, I think you got to do some restoration at the customer level. You're asking them to spend money. You're asking them to allocate resources. You got to make some investments back into that customer too. No, I think that I think that I, mean, I think that's great. I, you know, look, I love how you broke. I love how you've taken the farm, the farmer, and that you've woven all these principles into sales because I think there's so many. Uh, kind of cross cross pollinated, cr- you know. I think all these apply for for sure. And I think the one thing is your as we're kind of going through this list, the two that popped out is one restore. The other one that popped out is is the adversity piece and planning for it. So talk a little bit about you know if I'm building out a pipeline, how should I be thinking about adversity in the sales cycle from a company level? like? you know, having adversity in, in, in the sales process. So we put a number together and now the grain leg has been ripped off. The top's been ripped off the grain leg. So that's happened to my sales cycle. Walk me through that process. What should we be thinking about? How should we plan for it? How should we think about it? We're sitting down for the beginning of the year and we're going to, and we're laying out our plan. Talk to us about how we work adversity uh, into that. Well, the thing you got to understand about adversity is it always happens at a highly inconvenient time. Okay. So Knowing what the first thing about the plan is you don't get to pick when it's going to happen. So you can't say like, well, we'll have a little bit of buffer in the spring because what? No, no, no. That ain't how it works. Okay. What I'm talking about is what are the things it, that make your, like in your, in your example, you asked specifically about the sales cycle. Okay. So you have a defined sales process. If you look at it, what are the inputs that make it work? So there's there's technology, there's the people, there's the product, and then there's the, the, the customers that are going to buy it. 
Can you think of any other inputs that, that might jump out to you? No. Trying to, no. Okay. So let's talk, let's talk about the tech. Is there one, is there, is there one, is there one I'm missing? No, no, I, I'm just making, process, sure, making sure I didn't check miss product now. Okay. So we got, you got, didn't miss anything. Okay. Got tech. I didn't know if you were like throwing me a, no, a softball no, no. and I just, I, I missed it. Okay. Just making sure I didn't, you know, grossly neglect something. Yeah, you didn't miss it. Okay. okay. Yeah. No, I can't think of any. Got right. People, okay. technology, product. What do we do if the people can't work? Meaning they don't come to work because they quit. They don't come to work because they're sick. What am I going to do? Okay, so I, I've got to think about that as a leader in my plan. What if my if Brad, my number one sales rep, calls me tomorrow and says, my wife is sick. She's going to go to the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, and I'm going to move down there for a month. And you're like, holy crap. I did not see that coming. Brad didn't see that coming. It's not like they quit and took another job. Like, like that, that will happen. We have to plan for that. But things like this, like Julie's supposed to come back from maternity leave in a couple of months and then decides I'm just going to be a stay at home mom. What, what, what are you going to do? Okay. You have to think about those types of things that are going to happen. You have to say, okay, who am I going to reassign accounts to? How am I going to redistribute quota? How do I communicate that to customers? Like that, that type of adversity that no one could predict. Okay. Technology. We, we run into uh, some, bad receivables or we have to something happens and we can't use this technology anymore what are we going to do or we can't come to this work anymore because of a pandemic we can't come to this place anymore and we have to use technology to make all of the communication that we're having in person now happen asynchronously in a fully distributed workforce how do i think about technology and and how am i going to plan for adversity with that product what if we run into real glitches in the product? How am I, whether that's manufacturing, development, if it's a piece of software, deliverability, like shipping, what, you have to prepare for things outside of your, what are you going to do? You just, and you don't know the answers. You just need to be thinking about what if, okay? And then customers. What, what happens if I lose my largest customer? What happens if I lose... 10% of my customers because of a competitive threat that comes in and undercuts price or adds on a new feature or you name it, right? That's the type of adversity planning that I think leaders fail to do. So that sort of answered my question. See, I feel like as a CEO, I'm constantly thinking about those things. You know, I'm, I'm constantly going through the, the, the what if scenarios, trying to think about like, in my experience, nothing has in my 11 year business has gone the way that I thought it was going to go. Like nothing, like every spreadsheet that I ever um, created um, was, was foiled. Like I was laughing when you're like, we're going to plan for a little bumper, like a little bumper uh, situation here, a little bit situation there. It doesn't work like that. Right. You just wake up one day and all of a sudden, um, you know, your, your sales team's emails have been shut off or you wake up one day and account you thought you were going to have it have, or you don't have anymore. So, so I find myself constantly thinking about that, but is that, that's not the case for the average sales manager in your experience? The data shows that it isn't the case. If it were the case, more than half the sales teams would be hitting their number. Got it. Got it. When you think about this, you know, I think about like, um, you know, there's good, I'm going to simply there's good news sales teams and bad news sales teams. There's good news companies and bad news companies, right? So great performing companies appear, from what I can tell, to like to hear bad news, 
right? So they want to hear about the bad news and they want to make allocations for the bad news and and they want to know they want to know what's coming ahead, whether it's good or bad. Bad news, or I guess good news companies are usually the companies that hear about. They sound like like Enron or tel, uh, Telcom. Um, they only want to hear good news. You know, they don't want to hear they don't want to hear about the bad stuff. They just want good. They want to hear good news. Theranos, I think, is probably like that. They only wanted to hear good news. And I think the same thing applies based on what you're saying applies to a sales team, right? You got good news sales teams and bad news sales teams and high performing teams want to know what's around the corner so that they can address them. Yeah, I would say, well, you know, I'll tell you what my um, what my coach tells me. Things are neither good nor bad until you assign meaning to them. And so I, I think what I'm trying to get sales leaders to understand with this planning principle is that. Your number one customer calls you and says, our building has been damaged by flood. We can't use your service. We're going out of business or, or we're going offline for six months. You know, that's technically bad news. But it, it, for the prepared sales leader, it's just news. It's just, OK, that is what it, it is, what it is. So now I've got whatever a million dollars a month or a million dollars, whatever, you know, your big customer, it's a lot of money has to be replaced. Now, what am I going to do about it? And so I think that the difference is so the good news companies, the good news sales leader is, well, I'm going to I'm going to be real sensitive in how I go tell Brad, Mr. CEO, this I'm going to how am I going to frame this? Yeah. And, 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 and the, the bad news people, you know what? They may be more quicker to do it. If you kind of stick with your analogy. I just want them to be able to get to a place that when there's bad news. I'm not coming to you and saying, hey, Brad, we just lost our biggest customer. I'm coming to you and saying, I wanted you to hear from me that we've lost this customer and I've already put together a plan that in 90 days will have the business replaced. It's going to take a heavy lift from the sales team. It might require some additional expense allocation from the business so that we can increase our selling capacity. We might have to go undercut or give a little bit of margin on this one deal to get it done faster. But if we if we can make some concessions on these four deals, yes, it's going to have some margin effect on the business, but it replaces the volume that we're going to lose from this customer. I'm giving you some options, Brad. Tell me which one sounds best to you. That's the prepared sales leader. Uh, dude, I love it. I, I mean, I think you're hitting such a such an important niche and such an important place. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time.